0: All right. Good morning to all of you. Thanks for coming this morning. Um, let's, let's just begin with a, uh, a word of prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you give us your word, which is truth, and you send it to enlighten our hearts through your holiness and through the comfort of your gospel, your salvation for your people. We pray that you would give us eyes and ears and hearts this morning to listen to your word and receive what it says, and to believe in the promises that you have for us. In your most holy name we pray. Amen. All right. So, we're, uh, we're continuing now in Bailey with chapter 24. Of course, I, I kind of regret not, uh, not hearing the first two studies of the section, the first two parables, because I don't really know... Where where they went, but uh, so if you if, if we're being repetitive, or you have insights that uh, that you gleaned from the first two studies that I don't I'm not aware of, please uh, fill me in because I'm eager to hear what you have to say. But we're um pretty much they're all it's okay, yeah. all right, good. And I forgot my book this morning, so uh, there is oh perfect. I brought other books, but not the important one.
1: They're no, they're not all
0: gone yet. Very good. So we're on. Uh, thank you, Carol. We're on chapter 24, which is, let's see, what page is that? 309, thank you. And uh, so, I mean, for my sake, how many of you read it, read the chapter? Okay. Okay. Okay, have, <laughs> there you go. That's good. Okay, so I think, I mean, the best way to do this is to just sort of review what, what, what's said, and I have some questions which I think might prompt some discussion. But um, to start, let's just read the text um, Luke 14, 15 through 24. Um, it, would somebody like to read that for us? Is there a volunteer? I can read it if I. Okay. We'll, uh, Katie will Katie read it when once she gets it open? There, Luke fourteen, verses fifteen
1: through
0: twenty-four. It's on page 312, if you don't have. Ah, yeah, th- that's true. The text is in Bailey. If you uh, if you have that, okay.
1: When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, "Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God." But he said to him, Amen. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet.
0: All right, thank you. out of context, it's a pretty familiar parable, I think. Um, but I think it's helpful also to, to know where it sits in the overall story of Luke. So um, Jesus is on his way now in, these, in these, the whole second half of Luke. He's on his way to Jerusalem in order to die. Um, it, at the end of chapter 13, uh, the very end, he, the Pharisees come to him and say, uh, Watch out because Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus says, I know. I have to go to Jerusalem anyhow, um, because no prophet can die away from Jerusalem. And then, uh, at the beginning of chapter 14, he enters the house of a Pharisee. So, I mean, we don't, we're, ca- we're kind of confused about the Pharisees at this point. We don't know whether they are trying to protect him from Herod or whether uh, they're still his enemies. But he's, he's dining in the house of a Pharisee, and um, things things get a little uncomfortable. Um, at the beginning of chapter 14, he... Heals a man, verse 2 of chapter 14, he heals a man who had dropsy. Um, and I think, I think typically our impression of that healing is just like any of other, Jesus' other healings. Jesus was doing a good deed and the, the uh, Pharisees were being sort of stuck up about not healing on the Sabbath. Um, but I, I read a, uh, in, in this book, Kingdom, Grace, and Judgment, by Robert Farrar Capon. Um, He he writes about these parables, and he he describes the context a little bit more grotesquely. So I I, I just thought you might be interested to hear how he describes what Jesus does in healing this man. He says, um, let's see. Jesus gets through the soup and the fish well enough, but just as the roast is brought in, he discovers that the gentleman next to him has a back problem. So he's bringing it into modern terms. Being not only kind-hearted but good with his hands, he suddenly decides to help the man right there in front of everybody. May I have your attention just a minute, folks? He says, old Waldo here has a real bad back. Hurts him worse than a toothache. So, if it's okay with you all, I'm just going to plop him down right here on the table and do a little healing on him. Would you mind moving the roast to the other end? Waldo's a pretty big boy, you know. And then, so he says, watch your shoelaces and the cauliflower. Um, So the, the whole thing is that Jesus... In healing, not only, I mean, not only is it on the Sabbath, but he's interrupting the dinner. He's doing this, this uh, right in the middle of a really important social occasion. So he already sets the stage for, being, um, for disrupting the, the flow of things and violating the norms, um, violating what's, what's expected of him. So that's, that, that's, that begins the context. And then he starts saying all kinds of really uh, inflammatory things to, to the Pharisees. He says... Hey, you guys uh, should have invited all of the poor people too. Um, and when you come to a feast, you shouldn't sit at the, t- the, the chief table. You should sit at the, la- the chief seat. You should sit at the last seat. So he's—I mean—he's just l- launching these criticisms at, uh, at the hosts of the party. And then we, we get the setup for the parable. Um, he says, you know, invite—don't uh, invite your friends or rich neighbors. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Criticizing everybody for uh, sort of uh, doing what they normally do. And then this fellow says, one of those who reclined at table, as we just heard, he says, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Um, and so, what does Bailey say about that, for those of you who, who read it? What is, what, is that, uh, what is that statement? What's the fellow doing by saying that? That's right, yeah. There's a um, pretty widely beheld truth. Mm-hmm. And if I just say it, are you gonna Right. It's I mean it's a, it's a in some sense it's a totally neutral statement. Of course, those who eat bread in the kingdom of God are blessed, but um, it has it, re- it requires a response. I was trying to think of of something something that's sort of analogous today. Um, y- there was a I mean there's always shootings going on in Chicago, right? And so if, it'd be like if you if you came to dinner with somebody and you said something like, um, uh, "It's too bad that 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 girl got shot last night with that with that automatic weapon," and you, and you just left it at that, <laughs> right? And and so I mean, it's sort of it it requires a response, and, and it sort of invites the person opposite you to say something about how they feel about automatic weapons, or or you know, given given sort of the heated context. Um, it's not, it sounds neutral, it's a safe thing to say, but it, it's inciting, right? Inflammatory. Um, so that's, that's where Bailey s- says the stage is really set. Jesus has to say something. Um, there are other takes on it. The, uh, other commentators have said, this guy was just just saying, it, so, saying something nice, you know? <laughs> but of course, blessed are those who eat bread in the kingdom of God. But I think that Jesus' response really uh, really is a... Is, um, like he always like he always does, this well crafted response to somebody trying to trap him. Why would he even say that though? I don't get it. Why did the guy make that comment? It just seems odd. That's a that's a fantastic question. And that we, ju- we can jump into that next point on my page that's, there. It's this messianic- that's right. Yeah. So there's all this there's all this baggage um, with the concept of eating at the at the let's see. Eating bread in the kingdom of God. Let's take uh, Bailey refers especially to Isaiah twenty-five. Let's take a look at that. Isaiah chapter twenty-five, six through nine. If you if, if you um, were here on Wednesday, uh, or if you, you probably heard there was a, a funeral this this Wednesday for Joyce Spicer, and this was one of the one of the texts which was read. Which I mean, when you think about it in that context as well, it's really. It's really a wonderful passage, um, which gives a lot of comfort. Um, And and so in some sense, it's kind of tragic the way this text was treated by the Jews. Um, But Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9, I'll just read it real quickly here. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So what is, it, what's being described there is this feast prepared. Um, but the what's the surprising thing about the description? All people. all people, right? Yeah. Yeah, and this is a real sticking point. Um, the, and, of course, I mean, at the time of Jesus, there were all kinds of ideas about what what the Messiah would, would, be, would be doing, what his role would be, how he would come and, and um, you know, the, sort of the, the scope of his, his reign. Would it be just sort of to the drive the, the Romans out of Jerusalem or was it looking into eternity? Um, and so uh, Bailey points out, and it's really interesting, the, the different sort of interpretations or reinterpretations of this text. And one that was particularly potent is the, the Targum um, interpretation. So the Jews were sent off uh, into exile, and uh, when they came back, they spoke a different language. When they came back, they spoke a different language, and so they had to rewrite the scriptures in their new language. Um, and, and they ended up changing some things in a way that sort of suited... Uh, the, the, their sense of self-importance. So, I mean, th- th- we see this all the time, right? This is the, this is the trouble with the Jews in the New Testament is that they believe they're the people of God simply as, on account of their birth. And so, you know, this Targum text uh, sort of changes the way the, the text goes. And so those who aren't Jews don't get to benefit from the feast. Um, the other two examples were uh, this, this uh, apocryphal text, First Enoch, which... Um, Shows up in, like, the second century B.C. Um, it's a really interesting, a really important, valuable text because it talks about the Son of Man, which is uh, um, an, important, an important descriptor of Jesus. But it also shies away from talking about the Gentiles being included in the kingdom of God. It's not, it's not a canonical text, um, except for in some, some churches in Africa. It's not. It's, um, it's actually more rightly called a pseudepigrapha, because it, it claims to have been written by Enoch, who is the grandfather of Noah, but it's not. It, it's not. <laughs> it's just, It shows up much, much later, much, much closer to during second the Second Temple Judaism, so um, right before the the New Testament is written. So, um, and then the, then the, you know the the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, in the Qumran community on the Northwest side of the the Dead Sea, um, so their texts, uh, was a similar thing with the, with the exile of, of Israel, um, they were a separate, a sort of a separated community, and um, as a result, they they lost lost touch with the sources, the, the roots, and so they, uh, they they ended up kind of perverting a few things. I mean, this is this is one example. Um, you know, they wanted to maintain that salvation was for the Jews alone, so. That's why, that's why the statement is not neutral. That's why it requires a response. What, is, what does Jesus think about the Messiah? What does he think about um, who, who is going to benefit from the Messiah's work? Any other questions there or comments? I'm doing a lot more talking than I meant to. So if you just go ahead and jump in if you have anything to say. Let's look at this next Isaiah passage here. Isaiah 49, verse 6. Now I'm, uh, I think I just included this because it, it, it really nails the point about the, uh, about the salvation being for the, the nations. Would somebody please read that verse uh, 6 of chapter 49?
1: He says, It is no small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and I will bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth.
0: Yeah, great, great. So, I mean, this, this is a, a prophecy about Jesus and his work, about the Messiah and his work. And so, um, you know, it, it would be an interesting thing, uh, an interesting question to examine how, I mean, we, we see how the Jews reinterpreted some of these texts, but some of the, the, the texts are overwhelmingly, you know, in this direction. Like, you can't, you can't argue with it. The nations, Jesus is a light for the nations. Um, Let's look also at uh, Isaiah 56. Some really interesting things uh, in Isaiah 56. So for, the, uh, for the, the Jews, it wasn't just about excluding the Gentiles, but also about holding fast to um, uh, certain uh, ideas about purity. So those who were crippled, who were lame, who were, um, who were poor weren't allowed into parts of the temple for, because of their disfigurement or because of their, uh, because of their status. Um, but then in Isaiah 56, we hear, we hear what God thinks about that. I mean, this is such a valuable text because of, because of, of the description of those who are included in the kingdom of God, the outcasts of Israel. Um, I, I made a reference there to Acts chapter 8. In Acts 8, we hear about the Ethiopian eunuch who, uh, to whom uh, Philip preached along the way. Um, and that it's, it's, it's really uh, a beautiful connection. Um, Philip, uh, the eunuch is reading from the book of Isaiah, a different section about, uh, about the, the uh, sheep led to slaughter. Um, but the, the Ethiopian eunuch is the prime example of somebody who was <laughs> a eunuch and a foreigner, and he was welcomed into the kingdom of God. Um, and it was, it was stories like that and, and the witness of Paul and the, the, apostles to the, the other apostles to the Gentiles which really enraged um, the Jews in Jerusalem. So, I mean, there, there, there are two reasons why the Jews drove Paul out of synagogues. Um, one was because he said, he, he said, you need to repent for having killed Jesus. And Jesus rose from the dead, by the way. The, the second reason is because he says, the gospel is for the Gentiles. I mean, those two things are, that's what drives them nuts. Um, but it's, it's so important, and it's, 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 I mean, it's obviously central to what Jesus is here to proclaim as well. Jesus, um, although he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, his message is to go out to all nations. Okay. So that's the context. I, that's a, a lot of context there. Um, let's look at the parable. There's a, there's a lot to say about the parable, a lot to think about. So back to Luke chapter fourteen. So the one of the key pieces of information that Bailey gives us is how the process of an invitation to a feast works. Can somebody describe that? How does it how does it work? Jan. Yeah. Right. So I mean, so it's I mean, so the the first invitation once they've accepted it, they're they're in. The second invitation is. It's ready. So you yeah. Made a yeah. So you told them, yeah you exactly. With a with an RSVP. Yeah. <laughs> and a lovely picture of that's right. Well, <laughs> they even
1: said more than that. It said like the people who are already there in your living room.
0: I, yes. And they're just waiting for
1: you to say dinner's served. Come on to the table. Exactly. And they're there, then that's
0: when they leave. That's right. Yeah. T- I mean. T- they
1: never really drove <laughs> it home.
0: Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I, yeah, so, I mean, it's really, it's really dramatic, and you don't, we don't get that just from looking at it, because we figure, oh, uh, they're just, de- they're, they're politely declining the invitation, but no, they're, yeah, they're sitting in the living room, the food is smelling great, and they up and leave, right? Well, that, that's, I mean, that's, that's a, <laughs> that's a big question, that, we'll get to that, that's, that's, uh, that's fantastic. Um, so, let's, let's think for a minute about these three excuses, what are the three excuses? I bought yeah I bought oh, some land, some land uh, right The, the Oxen, the oxen. just got married, just got married. Yeah. Okay So um, so my question for you thinking about it I mean you've 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 looked at what Bailey had to say um, but how does it how does it strike you how does that first excuse strike you is that a legitimate excuse well, I think the today example, I mean, kind of whatnot. Right I, you know, I, 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 th- I saw that example at, at first, but then I thought, um, you know, we're gonna Jessica and I are gonna sign a lease for a, 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 a house in Fort Wayne without having seen it. Um, and, and, and you know, that's true. <laughs> so I mean, so uh, but, but, maybe it's not. I don't know. This, this, I want you to, I want you to decide, or I want you to give your, your impression There's of it. Difference between owning it and leasing that's true. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> a trusted friend, a <laughs> Any other thoughts about that any i mean do you know about this one? no I, I, we haven't even picked it out yet, so <laughs> <laughs> the pressure's on right now so. you wouldn't do that. how about what about the uh <coughs> what what about the the second example the um buying the team of oxen and then needing to take them for a drive? you think it's the same thing? you, test, you, you test drive it before you buy it sure I mean well okay, okay right. Uh, I'm just trying to play the devil's advocate. What if it's a, what if it's a great deal? So the guy gives you a great deal on the oxen, yeah, right. and you got to buy them now.
1: <laughs>
0: right? Yeah. Well, okay. So th- I mean, that's that's putting it in modern, in contemporary terms. They're actually, they're at home. A lot has happened since the first invitation. This deal came along. No. Okay. Okay, good. Creative people. But keep, keep that in mind. Um, what about having gotten married? How does he put it? Um, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. <laughs> he makes it sound, I, I never thought of much about it, but like, that's kind of silly. Okay. He actually makes it offensive. The way Bailey described it. Right, that, yeah. Like, he's got married things to do. I got married things <laughs> <Yeah>. to do. <laughs> Um, the the uh, th- this author Capen was ta- he he takes a different tack on it. He thinks he thinks that all of the excuses are legitimate. Um, you, I, I can tell that you disagree. So, but let me just read to you uh, <laughs> a portion of what he says here. Um, all of the excuses given by the first invited guests are sensible, legitimate excuses. Going to inspect a newly purchased field is as respectable a thing to do with your life as flying out to the coast to discuss the screenplay for a TV special. One is as good a reason as the other why you can't have lunch in New York on Wednesday. The same thing is true of test driving your new fleet of pickup trucks or honeymooning with your latest wife. Uh, so So his tack is completely different, but he says, No host in his right mind would seriously be miffed if you responded to his invitation with such legitimate regrets. And, in fact, he, uh, he points to um, a, a verse from Deuteronomy, chapter 24, verse 5. Just sort of a, one of these, mis- it's under the section of miscellaneous laws. It says, When a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, th- yeah, I mean, sometimes it, might, it be. might be, right? Um and, and besides, you made the commitment beforehand. You know? That's I think that's the real key here. Yeah. So. And then he went and got married. And when he got a lot of these oh, I'm going to have a musical look at it tomorrow. <laughs> that's there you go. That's very good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I think you're right and I I um yeah. I think Bailey makes a a, a good a really good argument and I... And your points are, are well, well made. They are clever but feeble excuses. And you get that sense. I mean, I think, I, I think we probably do this more than we'd like to admit, right? We make excuses. Um, so, so, why do we do that? We don't think too much of the host. OK, yeah, we don't think too much of the host. We're not, we're not very excited about the, about the invitation. Sometimes better offers come along. Better, that's, that's right, yeah. So, a, a better party. You know? You 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 accepted the invitation because you were afraid that you would have nothing to do on New Year's Eve, but then a better party comes along, right? So and um and uh, yeah, you just don't feel like it. Right? Okay, so you do it to save face. You to have a to, Right. I mean, and, and so the, a big question here is who is this directed at? Um, I mean, Jesus is speaking to the Jew, to the to the Pharisees here. Um, there's, I mean, Luke is writing for a different audience. Luke is writing for Christians, and so he, perhaps he is he's using the story in a in a sense to to comment on, on Christian behavior as well. Um, good. Um, let's see. There there is some speculation. Let's see, what uh, reasons for giving the excuses. Um, Bailey seems to think that the, that the folks are much more antagonistic, right? It's not just that they don't want to, not that they just don't want to go to the party, but they actually want to humiliate the host, right? Um, that's why they give these feeble, clever but feeble excuses, because um, they're obviously just excuses. They're, they're, they're not the real reason. Does that, make, does that make sense? Do you buy that? It's like
1: in the old movies when a girl doesn't want to go on a date and she says, I'm washing my hair. I'm
0: washing my hair. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's, there's another argument made that perhaps, um, and, and I think that this maybe gets, gets to uh, a point for us to think about, that... They the, the guests ultimately decline, and this is pure speculation. But because they disapprove of the the way the party is being prepared, the way the party is being thrown, they didn't smell good. They, smell good. <laughs> they know that they know how the host is. They know that he might invite some riffraff. Uh, it's I mean it's pure speculation. But but um, if you so if you accept an invitation, then you find out who else is on the guest list, right? <laughs> That's a... <laughs> Who else is coming you know um, it might give you a reason to decline and um, socially speaking they, they may have been very good reason to decline um, to to eat to eat with unclean people would have would have been a terrible thing to do right all right so let's see why do we bother with excuses um, I, I was just t- a thought occurred to me, I was wondering um, when we find ourselves, this is so not really related to the main point of the story, but when we find ourselves in these situations, so these people don't want to go to the, the feast, um, is it better, is it, really, is it really any better just to humor the host? To, uh, or would, it, would, they, would the better tack be to say, I don't want to come. <laughs> I just don't want to come. Um, because, because this, ho- I mean, either way, the host is humiliated. And that's, that's one thing we're dealing with here. The humiliation of the host, so if you go to the party, if the, the guests come to the party, but they 're not really enjoying themselves, is that a, in that in a sense humiliating the host as well yeah, and and the last one, the last one, the third one is with no apology of any sort just i can't come right? okay good let's uh, look to the second half of the story then. Um, So the host gets mad. He became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Um, And so that's, I I noted there, gather those who don't belong, epiphany. This is, I mean, this is really the story that we've been hearing all all epiphany. Um, The gospel is for for those who don't belong, there was uh, this, this other book here that I uh, had in my shelf, *The Social World of Luke, Luke Acts*. It talks a little bit about um, sort of the structure of, of a city and how um, the servant going out into the streets. So he goes out into the goes out into the main highway, or, or goes out to the, the streets of the city, which are the, sort of the thoroughfares of the city, but then also to the to the lanes, the alleys, um, which would be where the poorest and non-elite people lived. Often these lanes were little more than open sewers, so narrow that donkeys could not pass along them. Um, so, so already in that first, that first invitation there, he's, he's going to invite the people who, um, who specifically who he shouldn't invite, right? Uh, not the people who are socially re- reputable in the city. Okay, any thoughts or questions here, Carol? Um, and his anger. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's their decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that's right. Yeah. So I mean, so a big question would be what 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 motivates the host? Um, what what motivates the host to throw the feast in the first place? And then, when the invitation is re- refused to extend the invitation to others, what what's his reason for doing this? Well, this is he wants company. <laughs> this has yeah. yeah. About ask and a big a big point is they couldn't uh, repay either. They yeah. couldn't they couldn't repay the favor. Right yeah so so I mean in some sense the the host demonstrates himself to be a person who just who simply wants to to give away to to you know to give this to throw this party um that's what he wants he wants to have the banquet um and he wants somebody to benefit from his hospitality um, and he's. Mad because the people he originally invited don't want his hospitality, but that doesn't mean that he's not that, that, that doesn't mean he's not going to still be a host right? okay um, oh a couple more comments back up there about about the people that are gathered um, so the, so he goes out the servant goes out to the streets and lanes, comes back and says um, there's still room at the feast, so the host says go to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in. Um, And just the the more more social sort of cultural notes about this, um, these people weren't simply country folk who lived outside of the city, but in fact they were the outcasts, the people who had been pushed to the edge of the city. So um, even uh, the, the description goes like this. They were... Uh, those, those just out the, outside the walls usually included ethnic groups, tanners and traders, along with the more commonly noted beggars and prostitutes. Many of whom would have had business in the city, serving the needs of the elite that required proximity to it, but they were not allowed to live inside the city. Um, so, the, I mean, so they, they, maybe they could have come in the city to do their business, however low of, low, of however low repute that business was. But that, that was it. To come into the city for any kind of a social thing was out of the question. So the, I mean, these are these are the, the the real scum of the city, um, which which we, we might not necessarily get just by just by reading it, going to the highways and the the hedges. And then um, he tells the the servant to compel them to come. So that, and Bailey discusses this: Why does he need to compel them to come? Right. Right. <laughs> oh. Right. Right. Yeah, so so certainly disbelief, yeah. I don't no <laughs> that that invitation doesn't make any sense to me. What? Uh, d- uh, th- there is a dress code in fact, yeah. Um, uh, and even th- they would have been suspicious of the of the motives of the host. Um yeah. so, so That's right. Yeah, see just just bringing me so I can be the fool, yeah. Um, right, yeah, exactly. So I mean, it, and it really, I mean, it speaks to our, our situation or to to the situation of a lot of people who who struggle with God, you know, believing that God loves them. You say, you know, why is God being? Why are you? Why? So I mean, they come to church and say, why are you people so nice to me? What do you want from me, right? Um, I don't, I don't believe that you're actually nice people. Or, I don't believe that Jesus actually loves me. Um, there's got to be something, there's got to be a catch. And so, he compels them to come. Um, and, 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 but, I mean, in terms of faith, the interesting thing here is that this is all related to the third article of the Creed. I, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe, right? So, the Holy Spirit comes and pushes us along, right? Puts, us, puts, us, uh, puts our hearts aright. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Do you, uh, how much of that, um, so, that, so that in a sense, so part of it is disbelief, maybe mistrust. How much of it do you think is pride? Yeah, that's that's really a good way to put it. Sometimes it sometimes it's easier to just be homeless. And um and uh, that uh, that I mean that fits really well with the uh with the parable here. Sometimes it's easier just to be the outcast. You know you know your place. You um you don't owe any you don't you don't feel like you owe anybody anything. You're not being the recipient of grace. Um you can't help but feel like you are indebted. Right? Um and it, I mean, whether or not the host um, expects you to return to repay, um, you can't help but you can't help but feeling like you ought to. Yeah. Sure. That's that's good too. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I think so. Those are great observations. That's true, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, you can so you can see how this just really hits the nail on the head as far as the church goes. I mean, these and it, and in many ways, it, ref, it it's these are good things for us to meditate on as we as we try and reach out to people. Um, we have to somehow convey that we take people as they are, and that uh, that God means it, you know. Uh, and that we mean it, too. You know, that's, that's the real challenge for us is to, um, although we know we should mean it, to, to mean it, you know, to genuinely love people. Um, so now the, the um, I have these two questions at the end here as well. Uh, take a look at that second one. The uh, Is this a parable of grace or of judgment? Um, especially in light of the, the very last verse. Um, so, yeah, yeah, so verse, verse 23, he wants his house to be filled. 24, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. It's a pretty, I mean, it's a sour note to end on, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, it, it challenges us. What's the main point? Is the point those to, to exclude those who rejected the invitation to give it to them or to invite others? Let's hear it. Sure. So it's their own fault. It's, he's not. Doesn't have to heap any more bitterness on top of them. But they, really need to be there. they they do need to be there. Yeah. Mhm. Sure. So I mean, you could read it this way: um, that go out and compel these people that my house may be filled because those who I invited don't want to come, because they aren't going to fill it. It's not. It's not a. Um, they were invited first. Right. It's not. It's not a prescriptive thing. None of those people are going to come in, but it's just descriptive. Yeah. Turns out none of those people are going to be here. Yeah. So, so maybe that question there, and it almost certainly is a, an un, a, a false dichotomy. For the for the Pharisees, it is a parable of judgment, right? Yeah. yeah. But for the rest of us, is a parable, parable of grace, um, which is. Yeah, one word spoken two two ways or has two 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 senses. Sure. So grace prevails. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. There's a parallel um, in in Matthew. Similar. It's very very similar um, parable. But uh, chapter twenty two Matthew, the parable of the wedding feast. So. There's some kind of discussion about whether or not these are the same parable and just different versions of it, or whether Jesus told two different parables. But it's interesting because the parable of Matthew 22 is much more Jesus. The the host is much more vindictive. So he says um, the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Uh, but but they of course the people who he originally invited had killed the messenger, right? Um, so, so in the, that version in Matthew is much more um, poignant for those who reject the invitation. Um, but nevertheless, um, he still goes and goes and gathers the good and the bad in the, from the roads and fills the wedding hall with guests. But then, once again, this question about wedding garments or about, about garments comes up at the end because there's a, somebody there who's not wearing wedding clothes. But the, I mean, the remarkable thing is that this isn't one of the people who so that means the host gathered all of these people who didn't belong, who didn't probably have nice clothing, and then he finds this one guy who isn't dressed appropriately. And uh, um, you know, the question is, how did how did he get in without without having the clothes that the, that the host was supplying? Right? Um, he tried to get in his own way, uh, apart from the invitation. Um, anyway, it's interesting. You might you might find it interesting to read that account in Matthew twenty two. Um, just the first part of the chapter there, and compare your your reaction to that that version with what's in Luke. Um, what's that? Luke 14. Yes, Luke 14. Yes. <laughs> Luke 14. Um, any other thoughts or questions here? We're just we're just about out of time. They, I was I got to the end of the chapter in 20 chapter 24 and. Bailey always summarizes, and, and point seven, um, I found interesting, and I wondered about your reaction to point seven. Um, here in, in uh, so page 320, he talks about a vision for proclamation. And of course, you know, I mean, we talked about this, how understanding the way that people outside the city are going to react to the message is important. Um, here he points out, or he, he suggests that the servant, um, uh, let's see, Takes a, take, begins to take an active role, or that, or that part of the parable is the servant's active role in the, in the job of inviting people. So he alerts, to the, alerts the master to the fact that there, there are still spaces in the room. Um, and so the master thinks to himself, I will give my servant time to grow into my larger vision because only then will it be his vision as well. Um, so my question was, what, do you see that in the parable? Do you see this... Um, I, okay. Good. I'm glad it's, no, it wasn't just me. <laughs> All right. It it seemed it almost seemed like Bailey uh, had thought of that beforehand and then inserted it. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's That's right. Yeah. 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 Good. Okay. Well, we'll wrap it up then. Um, if you don't have any other, what was the... oh yeah, I was gonna. This is a, a woodcutting from a uh, a version of Luther's of Luther's translation of the Bible, 1563. So Luther didn't didn't uh, carve this, um, and of course, woodcut <laughs> woodcuttings are always really hard to um, hard to see, and if, especially a picture of a woodcutting. But you can see um, up on the top left, you have the banquet with the guests at the table. Uh, on the top right, you can see two guys out in a field. Um, so that's the first excuse. And then immediately below them, you have people talking. And I don't know if you can see it going up diagonally up to the right. I should have put it on the, the projector. You can see some oxen, right? So the, f- the folks are talking about the oxen. And then directly on the right, you have um, a, a man and a woman and another man. So I presume that to be the man and his bride. Then you've got the guy at the door, who's the servant, who's welcoming the guests, and here's the fellow who, a fellow who is just in tatters. Um, but then on the left, you see um, the man in the plain gown there with the triangular halo about his head, um, and so that triangular halo is, is indicative of the Holy Trinity. Right? Um, you're right. Yep, very good. I, I don't know who. I wonder who those people are that he's talking to, because they are—they're not dressed like the the beggar. Anyway, what's that? That's true. Maybe the ho- maybe this is the host giving the giving clothes to the guests. Don't strain your eyes too hard trying to trying to <laughs> interpret it. But it's uh, it's kind of neat to put a picture to the to the story. All right, let's uh, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Amen. All right, thank you very much. It says from from the the church postals, which is the uh, the um, interpretation of the epistles and gospels on Sundays and special feasts. It's uh, it's really goofy German, though. <laughs> so yeah. So it's so from actually. It's not from. I I, I misspoke. It's not Luther's Bible. It's from a collection of his sermons published in 1563.